you would grab a seat. Again, good morning. We are um, in a two-part series, uh, and this is part two of a series called Rescuing Evangelism. Last week, we, we started off by asking the question uh, of why evangelism? Why should we tell others about Jesus? And so we considered um, the fact that it's really because it's God's heart. It's God's priority. It's God's heart to seek and save the lost. It's God's heart, as we just heard, uh, to leave the 99 and go after that one. That is the heart of the God that we know and worship. And it's to be the heart of the mission of the church. And so that's why we're taking a closer look at it. And last week, like I said, we looked at why. Like we considered kind of the importance of telling others about Jesus. And this morning, I want to turn and look at how. How then do we tell others about Jesus, especially with this kind of in the background, that this is really God's heart? Um, in, in the next week, we're going to begin our uh, next series um, on the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because what's really clear as you step into the book of Acts and this world of the early church is that this was their heart. This evangelistic heart of the Lord beats throughout the story of the early church. And as it does that, um, it's interesting too because it looks different at different points in the story. For example, if you look early in Acts, uh, there's a, a scene where Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the apostles, he stands and he, he tells people about Jesus. But he, he does it in such a way that his hearers, the Jews, can understand what he's talking about. He, ta- he tells them the gospel, the good news, um, through the language of the Pentateuch and the prophets of the Old Testament. But then you forward, fast forward into the book of Acts and you come across another man named Paul. And he was telling um, the Greeks you know, about this person, Jesus. And he was doing it in a language that they would understand. He used the language of poets and of philosophers. And so it's just fascinating to see um, this process develop even in the earliest days of the church. And it highlights a principle that I think is important as we begin to answer this question of how do we tell others about Jesus. And it's simply this, that the gospel itself is absolutely unchanging. The gospel itself never changes, but the way we share it does. The way we share the gospel depends on the particular context in which we share it. And so that's important for us as we kind of enter into this question of how do we tell others about Jesus? Because we have to take into account our own particular historical and cultural context. Now, our our world and our culture has been experiencing uh, seismic shifts. I think we all, we've had that feeling, haven't you, of just kind of the the ground moving beneath your feet over the last couple of decades, really. I think there's just so much that's changed. We're we're in an increasingly post-modern, post-Christian, post-truth, some people are calling it, this kind of pluralistic, permissive society. And in that context, Christianity is seen as outdated, as irrelevant, and even regressive. And that means that we cannot assume certain things that we've assumed in the past when it comes to telling others about Jesus. It means that we cannot assume certain things about people's impressions about the Christian faith and their knowledge and understanding of the Christian faith. Our context, in other words, has changed significantly. And that means that evangelism has changed. Evangelism um, at certain periods in our history, and particularly in America, has has been more akin to kind of calling people back to a faith that they'd kind of heard of and kind of swam in the cultural waters of their entire life. 
So there was a level of familiarity to it. And so it was a sense it was kind of calling them back to something they just had never fully embraced. But now we live in a culture that has kind of simultaneously rejected Jesus and at the same time knows nothing about him. It's a very interesting time that we live in. And what it means is that our friends are more likely to be kind of functional atheists or functional agnostics or even skeptics more so than they might be kind of nominal Christians or Christians in name only. And so the way that we tell them about Jesus has to account for these new realities in our culture. And it means that we have to learn how to kind of come alongside people wherever they are and love them wherever they are on their spiritual journey, even in the face of their rejection of us or of our beliefs. And we do that because we know that's the way that we've come to know Jesus. Romans 2.4 tells us it is the kindness of God, the mercy of God that, that draws us to Jesus. And so that's, that's our heart, again, God's heart for the lost, to seek and save the lost, to go after the one. That's our heart, and it's driven by this desire to love people to the point where they can see him, see Jesus for who he is. In other words, evangelism isn't just about love. It has to be done in love, right? It's not just about the content of the gospel. The way it's communicated matters. The means of communicating the gospel is hugely important. So in our cultural moment, we have to adapt We need to learn to tell others in a way that's more dialogue than monologue, that's more friendship than fear, that's more embracing people than really shaming them, mercy more than judgment, kindness more than criticism, humility, right, not arrogance. And so as we step into this this morning, as we press into this question, so how do we do that? How do we actually tell others about Jesus in this cultural moment? I want to give um, some really practical things that I think will help us as a community following Jesus in Houston to lovingly tell others about Jesus. And the first is this. The first thing that we need to do in order to tell others about Jesus is to be a friend. Be a friend. Don Everts in his helpful book um, that I would highly recommend to you called I Once Was Lost, subtitled What Postmodern Skeptics Have Taught Us about their path to Jesus. He rightly observes, I think, this. He says, one of the biggest challenges that we face in our culture as followers of Jesus is that people don't trust Christians. People don't trust followers of Jesus. Most non-Christians, I would be willing to say, uh, generally speaking, are skeptical that they could ever actually be in a meaningful friendship with a Christian. I think that's true. I mean, maybe you've experienced this. I, I've experienced a tinge of this in relationships I have with people that would identify themselves as non-Christians. Um, usually what happens is they find out what I do. I'm only one question away all the time from this reality, right? And so they, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And I can see it. I can see it in their body language. They go from relaxed to rigid, right? Their words suddenly get real guarded and they slowly step away. You know, and that's just the reality. And I, I think part of that is because of this dynamic, this dynamic at work that there's, there's been a, this kind of pervasive lack of trust that's taken place in our culture, a lack of trust in those who call themselves Christians. And I think sometimes we, we encounter that, and, and our response, honestly, is that we, we encounter that and we, we feel defensive, 
right? We, we, we immediately switch to a mode where we have to defend ourselves. We have to argue why we're right and, and they're wrong, even if it's only a conversation in our head. Or we, we, we get offended. Or we want to av- avoid kind of encounters with those people altogether. Or even if it's only in the silence and secret places of our own heart, we judge them. And I think typically that's the way we respond to this. But Jesus shows us a better way. Jesus shows us a better way, the way of friendship. Luke 15.1, we just read these verses, Luke 15.1. And it'd be easy to gloss over, but listen to what this is saying. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners, those people who were far from God, how remarkable is it that they want to be near and hear from Jesus. Jesus is this devoutly religious person in their culture. He's a rabbi. He's a gifted and powerful teacher of God's kingdom. And yet, people far from him, they want to come near. They want to be with him. And Jesus wants to be with them. He shares his life with them. He eats with them. He hangs out at parties with them. He spends time in their homes. And he shares his life and he shares himself with people who are far from God. And there's a, a beautiful verse in the beginning of John's gospel that really captures this. John 1.14 And what it says is this. It says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That Jesus himself, God incarnate, entered into a world, a reality, our neighborhood, our lives, and he dwelt among us. And he made his home. He made his home in a world full of people far from God. That's what Jesus did. He chose, in other words, to be a friend to those who are far from God. And it's a model for us. So when we say, well, how do we tell others about Jesus? How do we be a friend to those who are far from Jesus? Here's a few ideas based on the life of Jesus that I would give you. So one would be pray. One of the ways that we can be a great friend is pray. We can pray that the Lord would give us a heart to to help us love people wherever they are in their spiritual journey, whatever they believe. And we can pray for people. We can pray for our friends I mean, think about what's going on in their life. Think about what's going on in their marriage, in in their kids' lives. Think about the things that they're struggling with, their needs, and ask the Lord to bless them. Just listen to what's going on and observe what's going on and pray for our friends. You know, if you want to know how much you really care for someone, how much of a friend you are, ask yourself, how much do I pray for that person? Am I praying for my friends who are far from God? So prayer is a great place to start. Second, I would just say from the life of Jesus, we learn to be with people and be real with them. Be with them and be real with them. Um, this spring, uh, some neighbors across the street uh, from us, they invited um, us over to their Cinco de Mayo party. And, um, and, and I knew enough to know that I was going to stick out like a sore thumb at this party. And sure enough, I got there, I went in, and there, you know, there's this room full of about 20 or 30 people inside their house. And I kid you not, I was the only person that did not have streaks of color in their hair and sleeves, ink all up and down, tattoos everywhere. I was the only person. I was like standing there, I think in like khakis and a button down. You know, <laughs> they're like, who is this guy? But I, I went, I went because they invited me. And, and, you know, and I had a great time. I had so much fun being at their house at their party. You know, and was it out of my comfort zone? Totally. But you know what? I, I think it meant something to them. They know what I do. They, they know where I'm coming from to a degree because we've talked about it a little bit. But, but they, they invited and they welcomed me. And, and God used that 
just by the simple fact of being with them and just being myself. But not just demanding they come to my thing or, or, or enter into my world, but really entering into their world. And that's what God did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. So rather than avoid people, let's engage them. Let's go to them because that's what Jesus did for us. Let's share our lives, our, our joys, our fears, our success, our failure, our questions, our doubts, all of our life. You know, sometimes, I was talking with somebody about this before the service. I think sometimes we put this pressure on ourselves that we can't actually tell others about Jesus unless we have all the answers and we live this perfect life. And that does a huge disservice to our friends that don't know Jesus. Because what they really need is to see someone who is real and had their life really touched by Jesus. And we obscure Jesus when we put up these fronts that we are perfect and we have all the answers. And so we need to enter into their lives and be real with them just like Jesus did. Third thing I would recommend just to be a friend is listen. Listen. Consider the world from their perspective. So often we think evangelism, okay, I got to talk and I got to have answers. But what if we just listen? Good friends, listen to other people. Maybe it's uh, just learning to ask some good questions. How, how, are, how are you doing? What, oh, why do you believe that? What do you think about this issue? And ask them and then just listen and really listen. Really pay attention where they're coming from and get to know and understand the world through their eyes. Last thing, just to be a good friend, I would say is um, affirm. Be an affirming friend. You know, friends don't just see what's wrong with other people. They actually look into people's lives and they see the good and the true and they affirm it. And I think sometimes we tend to identify and focus on people's sin so much that we, we can't see this in other people's lives. We tend to hold them to a moral standard too, I think that would only make sense if they were actually following Jesus. And on the other side of that, I think what happens too is that we, we fear if we affirm something about their life that we're actually affirming everything about their life. But if all truth and all goodness is really God's, then we should affirm it no matter where we find it. We should affirm it and trust that God's at work in their lives. And so find what is true and good and affirm it. So to be a friend, you can pray for them, be with them, listen to them, and affirm them. And this takes time. This is a slow thing to be a friend. But if we do that, I, I'm convinced, and I've, I've experienced this in my own life, that our non-Christian friends, that they would come to a point where they might actually just say, wow, I, I, I kind of trust this guy, or, or, or I kind of trust this girl. I, I, think, I think I actually trust this person because they've been a good friend to me. And so that's huge. That's huge moving people in, in, in the direction of Jesus, just to be a friend. But friendship in itself is not enough, Right? Friendship in itself is not enough because if that's all we ever did, then they might be left in this place where they just say, oh, well, David, you know, he, he, he's a great guy and he, he's, he's just a good friend to me. But they won't be curious about Jesus, really. And so the question is, how, how do we kind of walk with them towards that next step? And so what I want to say is, is the second thing that we can do to tell others about Jesus, be a friend. And the second thing is that we can live curiously. Live curiously. All right, so I'm going to date myself, but does anybody remember CNC Music Factory? Okay, there's like three of us. Awesome. All right, so see, this was like, when was this, Billy? This was like in the late 90s? Yeah, yeah. All right, somebody said early 90s. Easy. Um, all right, so CNC Music Factory, they had this song uh, that was um, Things That Make You Go What? 
Hmm, that's right. Things that make you go, hmm. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about living curiously. What we want to do is we want to, I know that was totally embarrassing, but I just went for it. Um, we want to live in such a way, right, that we, uh, we actually live that draws out people's curiosity. It provokes this kind of sense of, hmm, that's different. There's something different about this person's life. And so when we provoke people to think, what is that person about? What is going on there? Um, I think it really, again, it goes back to the way that Jesus lived. Jesus lived a provocative life, and he calls us to do the same. Look at Luke 15, too. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Jesus provoked them, right? He provoked them to think and rethink kind of what was going on. And over and over in the Gospels, we see this crowds amazed by Jesus, by his teaching and his stories, by his practices, by his miracles, by his authority. And they look at Jesus and they say, now, wait a minute, hold on. This, this is different. What's going on with Jesus, Jesus here is, is different than what I expected. And so because of Jesus, what that means is our lives too ought to look different. Not perfect, not without mistakes, not weird, but the natural outworking of a life with Jesus ought to be that we become like Jesus and that we do the things that Jesus did. And that means being friends with our non-Christian neighbors is not the same as living life like our non-Christian neighbors. Sometimes I think we can slide into that place when we try to be a really good friend. The reality is our lives ought to be curious to them. It ought to be different enough to provoke them to some curiosity. So again, here's some practical ways that we can provoke curiosity in people. First, provoke people with your priorities. Provoke people with your priorities. I was talking to a family uh, in, in our community a few weeks ago, and they were just sharing how um, over the past year they had decided to take the Lord's teaching on the Sabbath seriously. And so what they said is, as a family, we're going to set aside Sunday as our Sabbath. And so what that meant for them was that they were going to they were going to say no to things like Sunday practices and Sunday games for their kids. It meant that if they got invitations to something like a birthday party on a Sunday, they were just going to say, "We're so sorry." Not make a big deal, you know, not grandstanding. We're like, "Oh, how special." Just like this is this is just a priority for us that we're going to kind of set apart this time. And you could look at that and you you might be thinking that's kind of crazy <laughs> just to say no to all those kinds of things on a Sunday. Or you may be thinking, man, it sounds a little legalistic. And you could go there with this. But I will tell you, this family has shared with me what an incredible blessing this has been for them to take this step as a family together, to prioritize their time with the Lord and their time together as a family. And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you right now in this room, it is provoking some of us to reconsider Jesus and his call in his life. And I can guarantee you some of their non-Christian neighbors, as they look at the way that this family is living their life and their priorities, it is provoking them to think about this person, Jesus even perhaps, but at least, hmm, there's something different, right? There's something different going on. So you can provoke with your priorities real quick. Here's some other ways. You can provoke them by agreeing with them, agreeing with them, right? If your friend says, you know, I don't go to church uh, because, you know, I just think of all the terrible things the church has ever done to people in the history of the church, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. And you know what they're expecting you to do in response to that if they know you're a follower of Jesus? It's to rush in and defend, right? 
to tell them, no, that's not right, or that's only partially right. So what if you surprise them by saying something like, you know what, I agree. The church has done some really, really terrible things in its history. And you use that to enter into a conversation and ask them why they think that and why that's meant so much to them in terms of this question about their faith. You see, what if you surprise them by not arguing back but affirming and agreeing and listening to the things that are true, right, and the things that are good? You can also provoke them with selfless love. This is, um, this is interesting. A friend of mine um, uh, was once interviewing for a job, and uh, he was in the waiting room of the firm, uh, and there were a bunch of other candidates in the waiting room, and they were kind of going in before him. And as they would go in, he would just kind of discreetly kind of just lean over and say, hey, man, I'm praying for you, and I really hope you get this job. <laughs> and these guys would look at him like he was insane, right? Who does that? Who would actually pray over a, a, a competitor in the room that they would get the job. But he was confident and he was sincere and he meant, man, I want the best. Even if it comes, you know, at the cost of me getting this business, I want the best for this person. I want this for those that I love and for my neighbors. Who puts themselves before others like that? It's provocative, right? It stops people and makes them say, hmm, well, that's different. Another way we can provoke people is with real community. You know, if you commit to a life group, uh, people are going to notice in your life, right? If you get into this rhythm where weekly you're eating a meal and practicing the way of Jesus, it means that you're going to be very intentional about saying yes to these relationships. And the way that your life is shaped by that, it will change you. It will change your kids. It actually will have an impact on your whole life. And it, it will be provocative, to other people around you. That's why we encourage life groups actually to, to set aside every fourth week and to throw a party and invite their neighbors and their friends over so they can get a sense, a taste, and experience of what it looks like to be in a community like that. That it might provoke them. They might look at it and say, wow, I've never really encountered anything quite like this. So you can do all kinds of things. You, you can share stories of hope and healing and truth. You can pull headlines or share from a book that you're reading. You can do all kinds of things. Tell what God's doing in the life of our church. Just be provocative, right? Let those things provoke people to stop and say, wow, something different. There's something different going on there. And that will help, help slowly move us from just being a good friend to that place of curiosity, slowly inviting people to take those steps towards Jesus. But even being a good friend and being a provocative follower of Jesus, that's not enough in and of itself. We still need more because there's still, right, there's so much after that. There's so much beyond that. Just being curious, um, there's so many big questions like that you have to actually deal with about, about God and faith, questions about Jesus and being provocative. It, it really isn't enough to get you through that kind of big gap right? I don't know if, um, is anybody in here watch America's Got Talent? You don't have to shame yourself and raise your hand, but if you do, uh, Michael Ketterer is probably a name that's familiar to you. So over the last month, he's been uh, competing, and he is a, a follower of Jesus, and he's not overt about it. He just, he just has shared some things that would make that clear, and one of the things that that has meant is that that's a, it's had a huge impact on his life, and he and his wife, uh, one of the ways it's uh, played out is they've adopted, I think, like five or six foster children and into their family. 
And he just shares his love for them, and, and it's, it's amazing. And so after he kind of performed, um, there was uh, a response from, you know, like Simon Cowell, right, just looked at this guy and said, you are, you're an amazing human being. That was his remark. You, you are a very special person. I wish there were more people in the world like you, Michael. That was his response. He could see that something was different, in other words, about Michael. But that being the case, you know, if, if I were standing off stage and as Simon Cowell walked off, if I just pulled him aside and said, hey, you know, Simon, I just wanted to know, I heard what you said, and I want to know, are you ready to put your trust in Jesus? He would look at me like I was crazy. There's no connection there in his mind, right? That's too far from where he is for that question, for that invitation to mean anything to him. And so there's this gap, right, between being curious and actually engaging in this next step. And in my experience, there's really only kind of two ways to kind of begin to close that gap. And one of the ways is that you, um, you either uh, become uh, an evangelistic black belt, that's one way, or you basically get help, right, at this stage. You either kind of are the kind of person who just spiritually is gifted and wired and, and, and anointed to kind of just, man, just take a person from that place of curiosity, walk them right up and introduce them to Jesus. I've known people like that. I've seen people like that, and it's amazing. But that's not most of us. That's not me. Most of us need help, right? We need help of some kind to kind of help people close that gap. And so that, to me, is one of the reasons that I'm so excited about Alpha, because that's exactly what Alpha does. That's what Alpha is. Alpha helps us close the gap. It does the heavy lifting in this next step for us, and it makes it easy for people to really engage at this level with questions about life and about God and Jesus. And so what is Alpha? Alpha is a series of evenings where we have food, we watch a short film about the big questions of life from a Christian perspective, and then we get into smaller groups and we discuss openly and freely in a non-judgmental environment what we believe, and we listen, and they talk. And then after that, we get together, we have a little pub time after just to get to know and build relationships, and that's it. That's Alpha. We do that over the course of eight weeks. And I love it because it's perfect. It's perfect for the people in my life that are curious, but they're not in that place where they can really kind of take that step into those, those, some of those bigger questions about Jesus. And it's perfect for people that are asking questions, no matter where they are on their spiritual journey. It's perfect for them. And I think, honestly, it's the best tool that I've come across that does this, that helps people move closer to Jesus in a helpful and relational and community way. And I've thought about this. You know, I, I worked in um, consulting for about 10 years before I ever went into full-time ministry. And in that context, I, I had friends, man. That I, I, I built friendships with guys that were not followers of Jesus. And, 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 and we would kind of do things and talk about things. And it would get them to that kind of, that, that place where they were curious. It provoked them to kind of think about some of these other things. But I can never figure out how to get them from that place to the place where they actually could come to faith in Jesus, and they would have that opportunity. And I've thought about this. I wish, I wish when I was in that place in my life, I had had something like Alpha, because I would have taken my friends there in a heartbeat, because this is exactly what Alpha's for. It's a place where people can come and explore these kinds of questions. And so Alpha, Alpha is for anyone, 
I mean, Alpha is for people wherever they are. It, it, it's awesome because you get in these small groups, and some of these groups, they're, they're made of atheists, made up of atheists and agnostics, of, of uh, people from kind of all over the spiritual spectrum. I, I had uh, my friend in LA tell me one time he, he was sitting there, and there was a guy who was a UFO conspiracy theorist. That was his religion, right? I mean, people coming from everywhere on the spectrum and participating in this conversation. How incredible is that? They were coming just like, just like in Luke 15, to come and hear, but also to come and talk and discuss these things together. And so it's, it's an amazing thing because it, it's, it's so different. It's not a Bible study. It's not a question-answer apologetic session. It is a safe, non-judgmental space for our friends to respond to, wrestle with, object, even reject the gospel. And so what I wanted to say is, is this this thing, Alpha, is a huge gift to us, and it's a huge gift to me because this is where we want to go as a church, right? We want to be a community where people are welcome and invited in to really explore who Jesus is, that, that they can do that in a place where they don't feel judged, where they don't feel rejected, where they don't feel preached at, where they don't feel manipulated, but a place where they feel welcomed and they feel loved, and that's what we want. And that's not the impression our culture has of the church right now. But that's what we want. We want them to see and experience Christ-shaped, kingdom-empowered, spirit-filled community for themselves. And Alpha gives us a chance to do that. So here's my challenge to us. My challenge is be a friend. Be provocative. And invite someone to Alpha. Those three things I want to challenge you to do. This Wednesday, um, we're going to be holding our first ever launch party for Alpha. We've never done this before, but we're super excited about it. And we're going to kick it off with this party. Um, basically, it's a chance for people to come and see what Alpha is like for themselves with zero commitment. So they can just come, check it out, and then they can leave. All you have to do is get your friend there, right? You just invite somebody, just get them there. I promise they will have a great time. And you can just get them any, get whatever it takes. If you need to bribe them, I don't care. Get them there, right? Just get them there. It's a party. They'll have a great time. But bring a friend to Alpha. Bring them to the launch night. No commitment beyond that. Um, what I want to do is I want to show you a short clip really quick of what a launch night can look and feel like. And I want to do that because I want to give you a level of confidence. You know, this is new for us. I want to give you a level of confidence that this is something I would actually want to bring a friend to. Um, and I want to uh, show you something that's from um, uh, some of our friends out in Santa Monica. So this is their alpha launch night. And um, this is from uh, my buddy Gare. So can you go ahead and pull that video up and we'll just watch it real quick. It's about 50 seconds long. So. They've been running Alpha for about seven years, 
It started with my friend Gare and his wife doing it in their living room. They had about three people the first time they ever ran this. Um, last week, they launched and they had 350 people participating in Alpha, the majority of whom would not self-identify as followers of Jesus. Now, it's not about numbers. I've said to several of you, if we get one person to come to Alpha and hear the gospel, praise God, right? That's not what this is about. But I wanted to say that because I don't want you showing up on next Wednesday and thinking there's going to be 350 people there. <laughs> but it will be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great opportunity. And it's a place, again, where we can invite our friends, right? We can bring our friends to a place where they can hear the good news of Jesus. And so that's a step that we can take. And so I just encourage you, pray about that, consider that. If you can't do it this time, we're going to run Alpha again. But just be open to the possibility that, man, this might be a step that God's calling me to make with a good friend of mine. So uh, if you want to register for Alpha, you can do that uh, out at the coffee table this morning. Just grab the iPad. You can do it right there. Um, if you want to register a friend, you can do that. If you just want to show up Wednesday night, you don't have to pre-register. Just come. You'll register at the door, and, uh, and we'll get you all set. But just come and bring a friend. Again, no commitment. We love to have you at the launch night this Wednesday. So again, be a friend. How do we tell others about Jesus? We be a friend. We be provocative and invite them to Alpha. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful, Lord, that this is not our job. It is not our job, Lord, to um, ultimately to, to reveal Jesus to people. That's your work. That is the work of your spirit. But you do give us a role to play. And Lord, it might be as simple as being a friend, Lord, and being faithful as a follower of Jesus, to live in such a way that provokes questions and attention for Christ in our life. Lord, it could be as simple as just inviting someone to come on Alpha. But Lord, we, we need you to do this. We need you to lead us in this. We wanna be a church that is fully the church, that loves your word and is diving in deeply into theology and that walks and lives in the fullness and the gifts of the Spirit and, and, and appreciates the rich Anglican tradition that we have and, and is practicing the way of Jesus. Lord, we want all those things, but not at the cost of your priority for the lost. And so, Lord, would you just continue to give us more and more of your heart for the people in our life that don't know Jesus because we know, we know the life that you've given us in his name and we want that for our friends. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.